yeah, no, mine are def- definitely away. <laughs> cool. Well, welcome to Something to Do, a podcast that ex- used to be exclusively devoted to discussion and devotion of two of our favorite bands um, and has since branched out some. Um, so this time we're super excited to be discussing um, uh, the iconic, the classic SST record release, Zen Arcade. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about why we're doing this album specifically, Greg? Other than um, amazing? Well, let I I figure we could do some bookkeeping first because it's been it's been quite a while. This is yeah. our first one of 2022, and it won't be the last, I assure you. Um, we we need to get better about it, both of us. Yeah. Um, because I really missed it, especially I realized you know, in listening. Uh, in listening through to this record too, I was like, you know, kind of reminds me of why I had the idea of wanting to do this because I just think that there, there's so much to talk about with these bands, and um, I like talking about it. And you know, with my other podcast, obviously, there's not really room to talk about Husker Du and the replacements and stuff like that. So um, I was really stoked when I was doing the the review for for this one um which you know we talked we're, we'll do a little bit of background like normal but because we want to get through the whole double lp we won't we won't get too in the weeds with that but um i don't know some some bookkeeping well what's new it's been uh it's been six months or something yeah. since our last episode <laughs> Um, well, the the one up discoveries in the second press, right, um, which is super exciting from Hell Minded. There's also the the cassette release. Um, yeah, cassette. Uh, um, by the time this airs, will be available on Contraband Goods, which is a label run by yeah. uh, Javier, who is one of my hosts on Where It Went. Um, and and the one up. There's two things that relate it to this podcast. Well, three. One, it's both of us. Two, um, it uh, the the uh, intro music for this ep- for these episodes because um, we we wanted to make sure with copyright stuff. We're like, well, do we play like you know? Remember in the beginning? Yeah. I was like really scared, and it seems kind of like people just do whatever and hope for the best. Like, what's that saying? Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. Um, but like in the very beginning, I was like, well, I didn't know how much they would crack down, but now it's just kind of become like, it was sort of almost like a placeholder. Like, you know, when they make movies, they'll put like a, sometimes they'll put a song in as a placeholder and then they'll decide, you know what, this really works. Um, but we just decided, well, I don't want anyone coming after us for copyright. Uh, so at least it's our material. So it's the intro and outro music for, uh, these episodes, but also, the artwork was at first unintentionally and then intentionally kind of inspired by uh, Husker Du, New Day Rising. Um, and um, it has that feel. Yeah. So for the one-up discography. So uh, I don't know, check it out. The first press sold out real fast. Yeah, super stoked about that. Same designer, of course, that designed the logo for our podcast. Um, yeah, friend, Jason Mazzola. Yeah, yeah. Friend, uh, Jason Mazzola. The um, yeah, we don't do like uh, uh, you know, bit of bows or for uh, mm. or wind, but maybe we could do like uh, a little like you know, 
shout out to Jason and Hob for, I'd say, let's say they flipped our wigs. Let's say that. Yeah, there we go. We got our wigs flipped. Yeah. By Jason and Hav um, and Joe hell minded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, the discography. Well, wow. But yeah, this is the first episode we've done since I've actually physically <laughs> like held the record in my hand. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was all parties knocked it out of the park. Um, I've said to people, like, it's one of these things where even if you never play it, never want to listen to the music, I think it's a cool artifact to have. Yeah. There's cool notes inside and everything. Um, and then also related to where it went, uh, we did an episode to announce um, the band Praise. Mm. Uh, Praise are from Baltimore. And, um, you know, their vocalist, Andy Norton, Jude and I, we've known him. Uh, we were actually talking about it. Uh, we did a little interview for where it went. Uh, known him for over 20 years now. I, I met him in 2001. Uh, my old band before one up played a show with desperate measures and Andy was either we, we, we were both like, man, it's been so long that we forget. Like, did he play bass for desperate measures then, or was he just there hanging? And we don't really remember, but, um, the band praise, I think fans of Husker do, um, and that kind of stuff would enjoy their, they're in the hardcore scene, but they're mm -hmm. very, uh, discord sounding. I heard lots of notes of like, um, Rights of Spring, Embrace, um, One Last Wish, which I know is like, well, it's Rights of Spring with one different person. But, you know, that whole era of Discord, but yeah. also they cover um, Keep Hanging On um, from Flip Your Wig. And I got to tell you, it's, it is a superb cover. Who's Produced? Not an easy band to pull off a cover of. You know, yeah. there's, uh, and it really fits the vibe of, the praise record it's the last song on this new ep called all in a dream that's on revelation records and um i've had the pleasure of being able to you know hear the whole thing and it's i mean i was my wig was also flipped <laughs> it's great so that's awesome be on the lookout for that it's a great great track too yeah it is and and it's it's an odd cover choice and they really nailed it like i think it's like I was stunned at uh, how good it was. And vocally, uh, you know, Andy just really um, captured that urgency and impassioned Grant performance. And it was just Grant's birthday the other day I saw. Oh, yeah. Greg had a real Greg Norton had a really nice like kind of tribute to him on social. Yeah. So rest easy to Grant Hart. Yeah. Um, who, man, we'll get it. But like he's got so many great cuts on this 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 is a hard one to pick yeah uh, our our favorites yeah um so i guess do you want to go into um a little of your background with zen arcade before we do a quick like uh oh yeah yeah i was just like i guess one like kind of quick conversational thread i wanted to like touch on is like your point about it being difficult to cover um cover who's to do and you know like one um other kind of key example that always jumps to mind is the lifetime cover of um it's not funny anymore right um yeah which is great which is an amazing cover oh it's so good the, the, like the best thing that you can do i think with a cover song is make it so that it's not completely like you want to make it sound like it's your song like you want to make it so that somebody that doesn't know it's a cover 
can be listening to the record and it just kind of fits the narrative of the the album if it's an album or even if it's a b-side of a single and then but still captures the spirit of the original and both the lifetime and the and the praise uh really did that for sure yeah yeah agree yeah yeah so my like personal background with this record i was just kind of getting into you know it was about the time like one up was kind of wrapping up I was kind of, um, I had, I have, you know, I've told this story on this podcast before. My first Husker Du record was New Day Rising. Um, I got a copy of it on LP before the vinyl boom. Um, you know, and I just kind of like listened, 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 and listened and like really fell in love with it. And then I just started like filling out my um, Husker Du collection. And uh, like, I knew about this record. I knew it was like, you know, like, like Sergeant Peppers or something like I knew it was like one of those like iconic best of like um like rock records that you needed to have and bear in mind this was before streaming so I couldn't just like jump on and like listen to it I had to work at my job and earn money and go to a store and purchase it right <laughs> but yeah. which like I sorry I'm not like uh uh you know like um being Is it shaming would it be I don't even know yeah I'm not, yeah I'm not like, shaming I'm just like kind of just talking through some of the logistics as to why I it took me a minute to um actually hear the tracks but um but yeah I was like from the first track of the record which we'll get into when we do the track by track I was like oh okay this is amazing did you get it on vinyl first or cd I had the cd because it was before the vinyl boom and uh I mean it wasn't like difficult to get I'm sure I could have ordered it but it was just, you know, yeah, find on CD. Yes. Yeah, so for me, same deal. Like I kind of you'd heard like this was the one people talked about. Um, and I had Candy Apple Gray first, which again I've I've talked about on the pod. That was my intro, and then maybe even Everything Falls Apart, Metal Circus. Like I was just filling in the 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 gaps and i i actually originally had this on vinyl um i I got it probably from siren records and it was probably in 1995 when i got it i was in eighth you know eighth grade it was probably like eight dollars or something for this double lp and i think i just got it like because much like with you it was almost like that was what was there right but because i got it on vinyl i didn't listen to vinyl nearly as much as cds because they wasn't you know my my stereo system i remember the vinyl didn't go as loud and something like this you want to listen to yeah loud so but i but i i really you know i enjoyed it um it was a bit long for me as a 14 year old you know yeah like I, I had a short attention span and then probably about a decade later still before streaming and around the same time as you i got on cd and then that was when i really like dove in and yep. played it a ton um but now like the vinyl i love the way it's you know double albums are weird um but i think it forces you like you listen to it in in parts yeah and the narrative i think almost comes together more in a way like i don't know how to explain it but um yeah this is I mean, it deserves all the praise it gets. And for what it costs to record, 
you know, $3,200 or something, almost all first takes. Um, it's like almost, it's like, it's like um, simultaneously off the cuff sounding and completely well thought out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're probably like, I mean, I guess we'll get into this a little bit in a second, but like, obviously, you know, incredible musicians who are like very well rehearsed and like of like playing with each other, but also like playing the songs. Um, so like, it's like when you hear stories about like, you know, the Beatles, like recording Sergeant Peppers on like what, like eight tracks or whatever, <laughs> like, yeah. like um, somebody's going to call me out for getting that exactly wrong, but, um, but do it. But, you know, but the point is like the, the pre-production, like it's just the band is the tightest band in the world. And yeah. And I mean, to your, I mean, to your point earlier about like, listen to it, listening to it on vinyl, like, I think it's kind of like, and the narrative kind of like popping, it's like, it's like picking back up like a book you love and like opening up to like chapter 20 of it. And you're like, oh yeah, like this is the part where like, whatever, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You can really like. Figuring out the hotel's haunted. Like this is why. <laughs> you can follow, you can follow the, the narrative, um, you know, it's, and, and, and the, the story itself of uh, we'll, we'll get into, but I guess first a little background. So the Hooskers, uh, at this point, they've done, you know, some seven inches. They did Land Speed Record. They did um, Everything Falls Apart. And then their first release proper on SST was Metal Circus. Yeah. And uh, Metal Circus was definitely leaning toward, like, you could see those, like, songs like Diane and stuff where the a little bit more of like the psychedelic influence I think was coming through. Although you could really even hear it on, you know, the, the, uh, cover. On, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And stuff like that. But, um, so then the story is they go in and back then to just save, you know, money or time or whatever they, they would sometimes start rolling tape to warm up and they do that eight miles high cover, which is like, you know, one of the high points for the, for Husker do like it's yeah. the cover is fantastic. I, I wasn't familiar with the original when I first heard it, but I mean, it's well-documented as like one of the, the best cover songs. And it was literally just done like to test the levels for yeah. uh recording. So they, they, you know, had this idea to do a double album, which they recorded this in the fall of 83 and they actually told, you know, there was an interview with Bob in a zine, I guess, or a column uh, for Matter with Steve Albini. Yeah. And this is the quote from it. Um, he tells Albini, uh, we're going to try and do something bigger than anything like rock and roll and the whole puny touring band idea. I don't know what it's going to be. We have to work that out, but it's going to go beyond the whole idea of punk rock or whatever. So. I mean, they were already setting the stage that like, we're going to do something different, which, I mean, if you look back, nobody, I mean, the clash had Sandinista, you know, yeah. which, but like, this is just, this is more, nobody in hardcore punk did something as ambitious as a double album, yeah. with acoustic guitars and piano, yeah. but still like ferocious hardcore. Yeah. And cohesive. 
like and it makes sense like the the i guess when we get into the track by track but like it the the like the piano like stuff like that like it kind of gives the record like pacing like it doesn't feel like out of the blue or anything like that they weren't like oh let's like slap like a instrumental or a segue in here right what's what's wild is you know there's there's uh accounts that basically like if i recall and again people can sure look up or whatever uh they have they started writing and it just kind of seemed like bob and grant were writing similar themes and then that was what they decided to use as to tie this whole narrative together but it wasn't like they went in and they were like okay when you write songs i want you to write about this and then you know this is like they didn't have they didn't have the idea um of doing that which like, is kind of crazy too i didn't so like thinking about that it's kind of crazy because like that's a kind of a slightly rarer example of the two of them like aligning like pretty clearly on like concept and song ideas and, and i could be wrong yeah but I, I, you know i've i've done my homework as we say and um that was what i've found because if you think about it extra circus uh, which came with the box, uh, certain versions of the box set, Savage Young Do, uh, had this seven inch extra circus. And it was tracks recorded at the Metal Circus session that they didn't put on. You know, the Metal Circus was supposed to be a full length, and then they made it only the seven songs. And one is an early version of Standing by the Sea. So they already had that song before going in to do right. this. Right. It wasn't like they were like, let's write this concept album, double album, and then started writing. Yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, critically, like this was the first one. I mean, we talked about it when we, um, with several people that we've interviewed on here, 1984, uh, Rolling Stone, uh, I believe it was David Frick. Yeah. Uh, who's a great uh, rock writer reviewer. He reviewed this and gave it like a glowing a glowing review it was like their first like real mainstream exposure and um you know he did that one of the things i like to think too is like um that we've never really done on here before uh is like context before i guess we get into it so this is 1984 so think about what happened in 1984 one you were born it's true <laughs> at the dawn of 1984 but like <clears throat> no, that's noted yeah but like musically and pop culture right like so 1984 um you know reagan is president mm -hmm. gets elected to a second term um 1984 is the year of purple rain wow the, the film and the album yeah um it's the year of uh born in the usa Ooh. um <clears throat> it's uh but then in the underground, there were so many landmark releases. You had Black Flag did uh, both My War yeah. and Slip It In, I believe. Um, I mean, SST alone, Meat Puppets 2. Um, and then you had uh, eight, four, uh, oh, repla <laughs> Replacements, Let It Be. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, like it, I mean, it's, it's a, um, it was a great year 
for music. I, I believe Madonna's first album came out in 1984. Again, I could have looked it up, but I, I just I feel like that's the case. Um, you know, there was just a it was just a really good year. Uh, Ghostbusters was released. Gremlins. Well, um, yeah, like this is like a, it's a, just a really yeah. good year for uh, music and film. Um, and then Husker Du releases this double album masterwork of Zen Arcade. Yeah. You want to get into the track by track since this is a, a monster? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, all right. So we're going to try to keep the track by track like kind no, of. We don't need to keep it too because br- well, we're good. We'll be okay. good. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's I, tru- I trust us. Okay. Let's start with the opener. Something I learned today. What are your thoughts on this, Greg? I mean, this is like one of the best opening tracks um, for any album. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of like Husker Du. I mean, it's they they usually have pretty good opening tracks, and this is no uh, exception. Bob yeah. still plays it. Like I've seen him play it um, several times yeah. and uh, it just rips like the drums, that bass, Greg Norton's bass. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the only songs that was not a first take um, because they started it too fast. Huh. That's wild. Yeah. It says in the, uh, in the liners. Um, so I thought that was kind of nuts. It's just what a, what a burner. Yeah. Cause it's already like pretty, pretty, pretty fast. Like it's pretty wild. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just echoing like for a band that's known for great first tracks, this is really, they outdid themselves here. Um, I think it's awesome. This is like a little bit of a side note, but I always think about how the um, like opening chords are, if not identical, very similar chord progression to Floor Punches Washed Up at 18, that like, dun, 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 dun. Um, it's like, a, I, don't know, I love Floor Punch. It's like, a, it's not yeah. a totally uncommon chord progression, but it just, uh, the connection always fires in my brain and gets me, gets me hyped. Um, yeah, and like those, like the snare, like the snare, like build up, like in the beginning um, is so awesome. And I think Greg's bass playing really pops on this one too. And the guitar is just like, like it, I mean, the guitar on all this sounds like if you're looking at the needle, like it's like in the red, like yeah. the, you know, the, the needle and the, whatever the, I don't even know. I'm not a technical person. Someone's going to be like, oh, this, but it, like, it's in the red the whole time. Yeah. Like it's just white, hot noise, <laughs> but still like melody, like there's so much so many hooks on this uh whole record so then it goes right into so i I guess i wanted to talk about well you know before we give our hot tracks we'll we'll kind of wrap up with the narrative okay um but we'll go through everything so up next broken home broken heart yeah it's great i mean like i can't i can't listen to the first song without listening to the second song like it's like one of those type situations um, you brought this up earlier about most of it being like first tracks. I'm just curious if Bob, if anybody knows more, or if it's in the liner notes of the LP that you got there, Greg, but like, 
did Bob do overdubs? And if so, how many overdub guitar parts did he do? Something I was really present to listening to this song. I put it on like in my best headphones to prepare for this episode. And it sounds like there's either like numerous guitar parts happening or Bob is somehow like performing sorcery on his guitar. And it sounds like he's playing three guitars when he's only playing one guitar. Yeah, it, I, I know what, you're, what you mean. Now, the liner notes note that Reoccurring Dreams is live to two track with no overdubs or funny stuff, which if they're singling that out, that would lead me to believe that there were probably overdubs on other tracks. Yeah. But like his guitar playing, it is like you can tell that he's like a student of um, Johnny Ramone, mm. I think, because how Johnny Ramone would be able to play these chords but there, it would almost sound like there were like, do you know, like they would be these full, like just simple chords, but a way of like hitting all the strings almost. I'm not a really proficient guitar player, but where you could hear like it almost does sound like there's something in the background playing uh, like a, a higher part, but it's really just him thrashing at all the strings. Yeah, he fills out. I mean, he fills out the sound, right? And he does it without like any kind of, like i mean still when you see him play live yeah it's not just like a first and a fifth like when he's playing like a power chord kind of exactly he's he's playing like all the string like you know how like those early ramones records would almost sound like there's like you're like is there a piano in the background there or something but it's just the way that johnny ramone played which you know bob made no um qualms i guess about admitting like that was one of his gateway you know johnny ramone playing along with Ramon's record. So many people from that first wave, because I guess the way the Ramon's first album was mixed, people that wanted to learn guitar or bass, it was mixed guitar on one speaker, bass in the other. So you could actually turn off one speaker and play along. That's wild. Um, yeah. So I just thought of that now, actually, with the Johnny, like, but you're right. Like the guitar sounds so full and sometimes there's not overdubs. It's just the way Bob plays. Yeah. So next up we got some, some hmm, I'm noticing something about this. Um, a little bit of the pacing right here. Okay. So this is track three. Never talking to you again. Um, let's hear some of your thoughts, Greg. So track three. So you go from these two like blistering fast punk hardcore songs to an acoustic song um and this is a grant heart song a song like only grant i think could could write really um and it's it's to me it's one of his best songs i mean it's one of the definitely his most uh well known mm -hmm. i think uh foo fighters covered it on some they had a record of like covers that was for record store day, maybe, or something like that. Um, Bob does really nice backup vocals on it. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that was touching, you know, cause obviously there's, there was a lot of animosity after the band ended, especially between Bob and, and Grant. And when Grant passed, Bob played a, a show shortly after. And he sent, he did this song and sent it out to Grant. And I thought that was really sweet. And, um, you know, he, like it, it was uh, just a nice, a nice tribute. But yeah, this is a great song. Yeah. Yeah, agree. Um, 
I guess so some additional some thoughts that I have on it like right like I think it's like a total Grant song it's like a the perfect song about like the Irish goodbye like that's it like we're never going to speak to each other again I also think it's like definitely one of his or out to distinguish folks can disagree or agree about whether it's one of Grant's best Husker Du songs or whether it's my favorite song <laughs> like I, it's one of my favorite Grant songs um, I just think it's like a really great anthem for being salty. I mean, like even in the lyrics, like he like he says his piece to the person, right? There's like, I put you down where you belong. I showed you where you're wrong. But he's like, I'm still never going to talk to you again. Like, that's it. Um, so something I noticed right now when we're talking is that this is track three. It's not a Bob song. It's a great song, right? But Bob always put the the hot Bob track at number three. Yeah. No, you're right. Although, uh no, you're right. You're right. Because same thing with me. I was thinking New Day Rising, but isn't I'm, I don't have the track listing, but I think uh isn't uh I apologize track three on New Day Rising. Uh someone will correct me. Yeah, you're no, you're exactly right. Because it's New Day Rising, Girl Lives on Heaven Hill, and I apologize. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So so this was really that that's a good observation. So this really was like an instance of doing what was best for the narrative right not not like hey i think one of my songs should be track three right it's like well no this this is what pushes you know moves the narrative forward so we're not going to put chapter three be, uh, after chapter four you know or whatever right um so yeah it's it's it is it's one of it's one of my favorite grant songs too yeah Chartered trips. It's great, man. I just feel like I feel like it's the blueprint for like so much Bob stuff that follows it. I mean, like it's not like out of the blue, but I just it's like a the the er text or whatever of like later Bob stuff. Um yeah, it's like just a it's it's an amazing song that like perfectly um in my mind mixes his like the melody and aggression that he's like capable of in his songwriting. Um, I think you can hear this song in particular's influence on a lot of music that followed it in that regard. Um, I think I really love just like generally, not only the songwriting, um, but just like the, the song that seems to be sort of about trying to run away from your troubles, right? Which is like evidently like, you know, part of the narrative of the song. Um, you know, like uh, out in the um, desert, as he trees on every wall, nothing's ever solved. Lyric just really popped at me this time. Um, you can go on a chartered trip, but you're still dealing with your own troubles. Yeah, and and I think his vocal's great. He really like belts it out, and hit, like it's still raw, but there's some beautiful melody in there mm -hmm. um and it's it's a set staple for him like i i think every time i've seen bob mold band which has been four or five times or something I, I've, I've lost count uh this is in the set list and rightfully so yeah um it's just it and it is you're right it's like this set the stage for so much after i think this really set the stage for a song like celebrated summer or um you know, some of the stuff on uh, Warehouse and then eventually Sugar. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even all the way up to like, I don't like, 
like you know voices in my head like i feel like even in like solo bob right now like you hear, oh definitely you hear this i mean he still plays it so i had a question about the next one okay because when i was typing out the the lyrics or not the lyrics the titles i got the little squiggly line right you see is is it actually isn't it technically recurring not reoccurring so like it, yeah what's up with are they like playing with language with the title here i wondered that too or i was like or is it just they screwed up <laughs> like i never because like because my understanding is like you'd be like i'm having i have i you know i'm having a recurring dream i right. didn't think it was reoccurring yeah but anyway this is just um again i believe something to like it's great for the pacing you got charter you know you have the the acoustic song then you have chartered trips and then this um i literally just wrote one word for my notes trippy because it's yeah. just this it's not nearly as long as its eventual later counterpart mm -hmm. on side four but uh it's definitely shows the psychedelic mm -hmm. side and uh it's a good way i think to tie chartered trips into the next track yeah i agree and i also think it's like a really great um just like they really effectively paced this record and like thought big picture in terms of a record not like they weren't doing that elsewhere but i think that a track like this really um you know is a is a good example of how they um uh switched up the pacing of the songs um but also kind of started we're thinking of through lines that connected the entire the entire double record i was always just curious about like i mean i'm not like a studio guy but like how they recorded something like this like do you just like write and perform it and then just like roll a tape backwards like yeah oh bob if you're listening <laughs> we we got questions and you yeah. have answers yeah or greg Mr. Norton, either, either, both. We'll get you guys both on at the same time. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, yeah. So uh, up next is indecision time. Mm -hmm. So this is still, so, um, and we'll make sure to, this is still side one of the vinyl mm -hmm. indecision time. Um, I put, I mean, this is a total metal circus. This sounds like metal circus, which yeah. that's not a crazy claim to make because the way Hooskers recorded metal circus was probably recorded like, three months before they recorded this or something i don't know like you know within uh, within less than a year yeah. um it's it's a bob you know fast song um with that patented screen mm -hmm. of his um he also has one of the best scre screams on record yeah i think yeah you know, like up there with like kurt cobain and frank black uh, just having like an incredible, like being able to have a screen, like it's one thing I think to do it live, which I know sounds weird. You think it'd be, but like to capture it in a studio. Yeah. Uh, is pretty wild. Yeah. And like to capture that, like, like a powerful emotion on track like that. I completely yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, in a way that doesn't sound like overly rehearsed. It sounds like authentic. Um, cause it is. Yeah. Gosh, the um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this like this is a hardcore song. You know, again, they're they're like nicely 
pacing side A here. Um, I think something I noticed this time um, was the vocal panning on the like, go to the left, go to the right. Like when it like switches back and forth. Um, I thought that's cool. I mean, like yeah. working with like 1984 recording technology. Um, and just having that, that like foresight, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we if we did this? I don't. I wonder whose idea it was. Maybe it was Spots. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Um, you know, and that, actually, that's a good place to put. I know some people see like we when you when you're already familiar with hardcore and punk, and especially the stuff from the '80s when when recording stuff was all done. You know, there wasn't digital and all that stuff. Um, this recording i think for somebody so like i try to picture like somebody that listens to not this kind of stuff but hears about this album like oh this is one of the you know greatest rock albums of the 80s yeah and they'll hear the recording and they might just be totally turned off right, huh? yeah um by this the, the sheer like because it is it's it's not this is not purple rain right, i was gonna say yeah, you exactly. know or whatever <laughs> like it's it's um same city it's super raw yeah (laughs) yeah but uh at the same time i think if you if people really sat and and live with it the recording itself is really like i can't picture this like this wouldn't be the same if it was recorded like copper blue no you're exactly right and like you know i mean we talked about this some we talked about new day rising but like i think that the the studio and this like the quality of the recording and potentially the like pushing up against the limitations of what they were able to do in the studio is part of the record. Agreed. Um, this is something that just like you were like, you know, pointed out earlier that this and my war were the same year on the same label with the same producer. Um, I was just like thinking about, um, can't decide in indecision time, like being like on the greatest, like indecisive, uh, like music mixtape of 1984. Like, oh yeah, same year, same year, same kind of uh, theme. Um, but yeah, spot. I mean, say what you will, but the guy recorded so many. Yeah, absolutely legendary. What's weird is some of the recordings sound better than others. Like I believe he did Milo goes to college. Mm. and that sound like that has a, a, a more like clear sound but that's the descendants right like who's could do weren't about having i mean that's what there's a reason why these records were like a precursor to like shoegaze because right. of that wall of sound right like who's could do wouldn't have sounded like with even like the black flag my war production wouldn't it wouldn't work like they need to kind of have that like that wall of sound um so we're yeah um, i mean yeah to that effect a good segue into the next song like hearing like Hare krishna like tracked like it were a song on my war like it wouldn't make sense like it's got this kind of like trippy like kind of washy sound where you're sort of like wait what are the instruments that are happening right now like i think that that's part of the part of the sound of the of the record itself it's not like yeah i think that's it's an asset right it's like on a right like this this wouldn't be what it was without 
that production for better or worse. Like, but I just don't think like, like in a way though, it almost, it almost makes it timeless because it's just so raw because imagine if it had like dated eighties production, right. With like that reverby drum sound or whatever, like it would, I think that would have been a, a, a hindrance, but yeah, this song, I was thinking, and I, we, I know we mentioned this, um, one of the interviews, I think when we talked to uh, Kamala, um, this might've been the first time I heard the the Maha Mantra. Oh, wow. And it's funny because it, this song's kind of like, you know, in jest and it's part of the narrative. Um, and especially at, at this point in the eighties, you know, um, the, the Hare Krishnas were viewed, I think a lot differently than maybe they are now, but um, I love that it bites the uh, I want candy mm-hmm. uh, melody which I'm actually surprised. I guess this flew under the radar enough where they didn't get, uh, you know, After the legal action or anything. Um, but I, I mean, I was like, if you look in the gate, <clears throat> in the gatefold, um, you know, it's, they mentioned Lotus feet and Radharani. Yeah. So one of the things about, um, you know, with the beliefs of dev- the devotees, Bhakti, those that practice Bhakti yoga, uh, is that even just these these sounds you know, like Radharani, Krishna, they uh, have a spiritual vibration that even just by saying or hearing it, there's some type of spiritual benefit. So I always like to think, you know, as a devotee myself, which we've talked about before, like I like to think like, well, you know, Grant Hart, he got some type of spiritual benefit, you know, and hopefully he's, uh, you know, onto onto bigger and better things uh in his next life but um it totally adds to the psychedelic feel of the record because you know the, especially then two devotees were associated with that whole like late 60s counterculture um and the idea that you know in the in the early times of uh the the Hare Krishnas the idea was like you know it appealed to the quote unquote lowest to the low to, to quote terror. Like it was like the hippies and the counterculture people yeah. were the ones that, that this philosophy appealed to, but it was almost like to be a devotee, you had to be um, like a, my, my spiritual teacher has said a, a double dropout. Like you were already a dropout in society. Cause you were this, you know, crazy hippie and then you had to double down and like became you know a devotee so this i didn't realize you know when i'm 14 listening i didn't realize but this really fits into the whole narrative of the album yeah well i mean you know i mean it's an album that like in a lot of ways is about like self-discovery and reflection and like you know encountering a, a crisis and trying to run from yourself and like i think to that point, like the, the pacing on the track before this, this and the track after this is like really perfect, right? It's like indecision time. And then there's like, you maybe you're like butting up against or like encountering or reapproaching like spirituality, right? And then there's like, you know, then, you know, I have something to say about Hare Krishna, but the, then like with the track right after this, like, you know, you're just like falls to the wall. Like there's a hard, like Beyond the Threshold is a hardcore song, right? So it's sort of like, you know, I think that that's, it's not only good pacing for the record, 
it fits the narrative of the record and it's all cohesive. And especially with this being the last song on the first side. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, when you were brought, brought up the point about like somehow going under the radar and not getting slapped with a lawsuit for like ripping the, I want candy melody, it kind of makes, it's like a little, little homage. Like when, like, I guess like when like makes me think of when, um, what is it? Young Americans when Bowie's like, uh, I read the news today. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Like a little tip the of the Beatles, hat. The yeah. Beatles tip of the hat. One yeah. On this time around. And again, I tried to listen like with the best headphones I have, but I, somebody figured out like they're tuned like crazy. Like Bob tuned his guitar, like drop Z or something to like that. Like the, the, whatever he's got the six string tuned to is like, is like, southern lord records heavy um and i just remember this song is like heavier and kind of like drone more droning and like psychedelic than than even i remembered it it's awesome honestly like like one of the things about zen arcade is i don't it's not necessarily like mixtape fodder like some of the songs some of the songs you could say like hey check out who's could do and you could give them like uh you know, make a playlist and one of the songs could be something I learned today or, or whatever. But some of these tracks wouldn't necessarily work on their own. Like if you just played someone the song Hare Krishna, you'd be like, no. But in the context of the album, it's awesome. Right. Right. Yeah. Completely agree. It's like, um, what's the name of the track? Yeah, it's like it's like FX on like uh, volume four or something like that. Like you know, right. that song on like a, you know, like that's like my top tracks, but like it works for the pacing of the album. Yep. And same, it remind, it's a and same, another band that has SST connections, like uh, the song Providence on Daydream Nation. That's just, uh, you know, piano with a Mike Watt voicemail, basically. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you wouldn't put that on and say, Ch- check out Sonic Youth. Here you go. <laughs> But when you're listening to Daydream Nation, the album would not be the same without that track. And, and I feel like that with this. Plus, any chance for somebody, in, in my opinion, to sing along to, you know, the Maha Mantra is a good thing. They really did a good job. Like, again, even though it's sort of like in jest, um, I mean, they have like you can hear the, the bells and everything. Um, so, yeah, flipping the record over. All right. We got beyond the threshold. Beyond the threshold. Oh boy. Um, so I, I wrote, you know, there's this, there's the legend that they put like crystal meth in the coffee mm-hmm. to do this, like to just stay awake and uh um be able to do everything. And this is like crystal meth in the coffee pot to kick off side two, which uh Bob Mould has said, you know, there's a lot of Husker Du songs that he'll play in his sets. And he's even said that side two of Zen Arcade, he was like, I can't revisit that stuff. Like you won't, you won't go to a a Bob Mould show and hear any songs from side two. He just said like the headspace he was in at the time. And you got to think too, like we talked about context, right? Like, um, and um, I'll save it because I have it for one of the other songs about the context. But yeah, well, ripping song. I mean, yeah, that really shows because I I didn't like. I mean, the two of us have seen Bob play a good amount of times, and I've never seen him play any of this stuff. And it's like it does. I don't want to say it stands out, but like, I, okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But one thing that jumps jumps to mind about me out 
one thing that jumps to mind to me about this track is this is a hardcore song. Like, I feel like this could be on Everything Falls Apart. Um, and I mean that in the best way. I love Everything Falls Apart. Um, if, you know, to kind of tie back to your earlier point, if it is true that they drank coffee with crystal meth in it, it shows on this track. Yeah, absolutely. And like for the next track, Pride, yeah. I, I wrote, this is hardcore. Like is. This is this is straight. And, and it's nuts because they're a trio. So usually I think with with hardcore, you know, especially in the 80s, I'm thinking of a band with usually one guitarist. Then eventually they would, you know, add a little add another one. Like you look at a band like Minor Threat or The Faith mm -hmm. or um you know, a lot of that discord stuff. And then they added SSD and they would add a second guitar player and get a little more adventurous. But you think of like a guitarist, a bassist, a drummer and a standalone singer. Right. So with Who's Could Do, you got this trio. But I mean, this song vocally, Bob is like, again, pushing it into the red. Mm -hmm. um, and this sounds like, yeah, like land speed record. Yeah. Everything falls apart. Metal circus. Um, there's no reason why somebody that likes thrashy hardcore punk would not find at the very bare minimum side two of this record, you know, palatable. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, I feel like if you in like my most hardcore phases, like if you like, you know, when I was like 13 or 14, I was like, all right, I gotta like, I think I was like, I was in middle school, but, so, but I was like, you know, like now that I'm into hardcore, I can only listen to hardcore. Like I can't. Yeah. So like, but if you played this side of the record for me as like some kind of standalone hardcore record, I would be like, whoa, this is hardcore. Yeah. I mean, if you, like, if you, if they did a, like a, a seven inch with just beyond the threshold pride, I'll never forget you in the biggest lie. Like yeah. let's even just look at those. Um, Cause what's going on slows it down a bit. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Imagine a, a seven inch, two songs on side a, two songs on side B 45 RPM. I mean, that would be like, I think still heralded as one of the best. Yeah. Hardcore set. Like it would be up there with, you know, all the classics that, that people talk about, but yeah, I agree. This is like, it's just straight up really great. And the thing is it's hardcore, but it's like not just subpar. It's really good hardcore right exactly yeah and then I mean, they kick into side b with like a lot of aggression um one thing like i that stood out to me this time um was like when in pride when the song like kind of starts to like you know do the thing where it like deliberately like falls apart like in the middle and bob just is like everybody got the fuck out and then the song kicks back in i just thought that was yeah weird. yeah and it's so this is not college rock no no um I'll never forget you. Uh, comes in like, uh, like just create. You know, it continues this really aggressive sound, um, and the way you know Bob's vocal is just that. That's the needles all the way in the red. Yeah, the way he just screams, "I'll never forget you!" Like I don't know how the man didn't have a headache after that. Um, I love the song though. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I think 
yeah, you hear Bob like completely losing it, like on the vocals there. I think you really hear to, you know, you really hear Greg's uh, bass shine on this one is one thing that stands out to me. Um, uh, it's it's a great song. Um, it kind of when he's like the way that he's like kind of like losing it a little with the vocals um, reminds me a little bit of like don't on uh, Dinosaur Jr.'s bug when they yes screaming the one line over and over again or territorial pissings even yeah. to talk about like like that to me that territorial pissings is like you know that definitely took from the the school the Husker do uh school for sure yeah so so up next is the the biggest lie um which funny enough i believe my first exposure to this song was on a pansy division they did a seven inch called nine inch males do not google that seven inch cover if you're at work or in the presence of children i don't know and it's funny one of the cool things was you know as a kid i wasn't allowed to have stuff with the parental advisory but luckily like independent music they didn't put them on there but the cover is like wow but anyway they do a really cool cover of it um and what i wanted to talk about with i think the the side two is and the context is this is 1984 there's aids you have you know a president that i don't think he even publicly said used the term aids until 1985 or something right so this is this time and Bob is a closeted gay man. Yeah. And just, I, I the, and watching peers and friends die. Yeah. And these, and I just think a song like the biggest lie I thought was sort of like, like, you know, back to your day job, back to your girlfriend and pansy division, I think harnessed that and said like yeah. to them, like this was kind of like a, a coming out type song if you read between the lines yeah um i mean and and like something that uh you're better with like the timeline stuff but like definitely so what i'm about to say might be a little bit anachronistic but like i mean grant had a false diagnosis like false positive diagnosis at one point right so like it was it like came hit close to to home like with the band i don't i don't recall what year that was but. I think that was later. I think I I think it was later. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, so this song is really like I can see why like this would not be a song I'd want to revisit if I were uh Bob Mold because yeah. it's pretty it's pretty heavy. The song's great. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of misleading the way it starts off. Uh and but like the backing vocals from Grant on this add that like melody to it um but yeah it's great yeah yeah i mean it comes in and you know not the first time we've but putting it in context just the the slow beginning of it sounds like it could be like a side b my war track i mean then it picks up um yeah but that that intro the for sure um so up next is what's going on which is a little more um I don't think plotting is the right word because I feel like that has a negative connotation, but it's a little slower. Yeah. But still really heavy. Um, this is the one where you can definitely hear Dez from Black Flag uh doing vocals in the background. Um awesome, awesome track and yeah. and mixes up the side two so that it's not just 
all blisteringly fast. It adds a little bit of depth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like it's aggressive, but it's but there's also there's like a I mean there's like a melody to it and like it's kind of like a I don't want to say like a disorienting, but like I mean kind of you know it's not like um it's just a really cool track. It like adds to a lot of pacing. Um, I don't know. This is like still to this day, like kind of the song that's like my own personal anthem for like when my like brain gets broken, like when I'm like thinking too hard. Like, the, like, yeah. Going on inside my head. Like. Yeah. And, and um, it's funny that the lyrics inside of the gatefold had this labeled as what's going on and then actually says inside my head in, in brackets. Uh, but that's not on the, the back cover. Yeah. Just I'm, a little yeah. random thing. That's cool. Yeah. I was talking when I should have been listening. It was like, yeah. Simple, effective, mm -hmm. um, a little bit more of a flag influence. I think like the, yeah. and, like Rollins era. Yeah. Um, Great track, uh, masochism, uh, masochism world, masochism, yeah. Massimo, no, uh, masochism world. <laughs> um, this is like a Grant hardcore song. Yeah. Um, and uh, but still has the melody, the backing vocals. Um, it's also was the uh, live B side of Eight Miles High, and it's a pretty like abrasive version on the on the b-side there like sounds like it was like recorded in a paper bag but um <laughs> you know you can still even with those you know just like with even land speed record the more you listen the more you can pick out those like hooks mm -hmm. um and this is no exception yeah yeah well this has got those like the the ooze those like kind of like prototype like yeah. yeah yeah for sure that part is so cool um is this a hardcore like is this a diss on hardcore i just always assumed it was like i never really like thought too much about the lyrics to it but just the song title yeah it could be because i know they were they were they were definitely getting kind of jaded i think at this point despite yeah, having like some you know ripping stuff and yeah i mean again context right like you got uh they're watching this like male centric but yeah. like also like hardcore like let's be real hardcore and punk music didn't escape the trappings of like homophobia and sexism and stuff yeah just like any other scene back then you know so yeah it could it could uh could very well be um i'd be curious to know for sure and, and then so we got um another grant song yeah by the sea to close out the side mm -hmm. um there's like we talked about earlier there's the um extra circus has this track um an earlier version um both versions are great i'm so used to the zen arcade that that was like uh, a, a neat little Easter egg hearing that version. But uh, when I think of the song, because of years of conditioning, this is the version I hear. Um, and it's, you know, again, kind of uh, takes down the abrasiveness and the speed a little bit. 
which parlays into when we flip the record over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that like the, um, the, like that kind of looping hypnotic part, like Greg's bass playing really stands out to me um, on this one. Like do, 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 do. Yeah. Psych really psychedelic. Yeah. Yeah. So we flip over the record somewhere. As, this song isn't talked about as much as it should be. That's all, you know, that's like my main, it's a great song. Yeah, this is an awesome Grant song. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, oh, no, I lied. I actually, this is the one song on here. So in the liner notes of Zen Arcade, uh, it states that whoever wrote the song sings it, except for somewhere, which Grant wrote words for. So I'm assuming Bob wrote the music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wonder if that's why it's not right. talked about as much, but it's, it's an awesome song and it, it, uh, it really, uh, like fits, you know, picks up the vibe for side three. Yeah. Um, it is credited to heart and mold. Okay. We got a little, a little collab. Yeah. Which actually the next track is also credited to both. Uh, the next track, one step at a time. Do you think that is that note? Is that a play on words like step in the musical? Um, like, I don't know music that great like yeah. that, <laughs> but like the piano, because aren't they going up a step each progression of that? Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like, and yeah, like you could, I, I kind of feel like, like um, never talking to you again, you could kind of. I mean, a good, the hallmark of a good song is that it, you know, you can connect to it at various phases and various experiences and it can have multiple meanings. And, you know, I think that it's, that's the case. I should, I should sit down and somebody who's like got a really good musical ear. Music theory. Cause like, it, you know, the do, 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 like, does it keep climbing up a step? Does any, if anybody musicians uh, out there know, let us know. But yeah, I, I love it. I, I love piano. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that it's used in this context of like tying everything together. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, and it's really good pacing too. It's yeah, like, it, it is. It is. I mean, it's not the track you put on your like, here's my, here's your do hot tracks mixtape, but it works really well on the record and where it is on the record. Yeah, definitely. So up next, King turns to blue. Grant. Yeah. I mean, this is a another one I think of his most well-known songs. And if you go on YouTube, you can see like really cool live versions. Like this ended up being a song they'd play, you know, up until the end of the band. Um, those haunting uh, backup vocals. Mm -hmm. um, it. I mean, Grant's sense of, of, of pop melodies, even within the context of something like this, are just undeniable. That chorus is an earworm. Mm -hmm. uh, Pitchfork actually named it one of the best songs ever since punk began. And I would call um, Pitchfork with you, yeah. Yeah, like, really, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, obviously Bob Mould is an incredible songwriter. He's one of my favorites. He's, you know... 
a big portion of why we have this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes Grant gets overlooked, maybe because Bob had such a prolific, you know, like sugar. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, because sugar was so popular. And then, you know, his solo stuff was uh, also popular. And Grant kind of flew under the radar more after the band kept a lower profile. But we, I mean, we talked about it on the Candy Apple Gray episode. The most streamed yeah. song of Husker Du is a Grant song. Yeah. Um, and there's something else we'll get to later in the record. But this is another example of Grant just on absolute um, fire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really covered just, I think, everything that I would have to say about this song. It's amazing. Really great use of the, the like flat fifth like chord on this one. I'm um, in that little transition part. That's like just like the super braiding, um, super braiding sound. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like at a loss for things to say about, about the song that haven't already been said. So, so next is newest industry. Yeah. I love the, the guitar mm-hmm. um, and, and the guitar intro. And then it's just super catchy but it still has those like riffs like like, you know, that kind of Bob chord progression. Um, And then looking here, Bob plays piano on that as well, Hmm. because you can hear the the piano in the background, it like enhances it. Um, Bob's vocal is like super harsh, but at the same time, catchy. And the way, you know, newest industry when he says it and just soars on it, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That like, trebly like delayed guitar part in the beginning could be on reckoning or murmur or something like and you know it could be a peter buck part um or peter buck could be playing bob mold parts for a large part of his career is another way of thinking about that but bob has said like you know in his autobiography that um when they signed to warner he saw like rem like as like you know one of the peer bands and i think that this song that part in particular really showcases that connection musically for sure so up next we have um, Monday will never be the. What yeah. are your thoughts? Just um, I think like all the, I feel like all the piano on this. Like I know that um, uh, like Craig Finn and like the Hold Steady are obviously like really big, um, Husker Du fans, you know, and have like you know, talked about it in interviews and like are are just unabashed about their, um, their fandom. But like I feel like with the piano in this one, you can kind of really hear the like Franz Nikolai era, um, hold steady, how they were influenced by this era of um, Husker Du. Like, yeah, for sure. Using Girls in America, like uh, era. And there's one track and I, I, I should have looked it up and I thought, oh, I'll, it'll come to me. And I wanted to make it more off the cuff, but and is it this one that was kind of manipulated to move it into the net the same key as the next song huh i'm not really good with keys either but um so that was uh to me i thought this one could have been uh one that it sounds a little manipulated but also it could just be the psychedelic right stuff and i, I love the the two piano pieces on here i love both of them yeah and they're there's they're not anything you know it's not uh you know mozart or anything 
No. But but it's like it's just super cool. No, but it's like, just these guys in their early twenties are just you know having these cool little interludes. So mm-hmm. yeah. So next up, we got whatever. Oh God, this one. Yeah, I would love if Bob uh, would play this live. Uh, I love this song, um, and as I've uh, spent more time with the record over these last twenty five years, it's it's a it's definitely one of the highlights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the just the songwriting in general too. But I think I feel like the the chorus really showcases um, that that in my mind iconic bob guitar sound um whatever it is like a you know a chorus pedal or whatever the heck he's using um i feel like it really when you hear like if you were to play me that isolated guitar part like and you were like who you know what i mean like i'd be like that's that's bob like for sure for sure um it's yeah it's awesome song and it's like it's it's kind of like it's buried on side three, but I think the cool thing about it, an album like this, and it's the same thing with a lot of double albums, like uh, you know the aforementioned Danger Nation or the White Album. The more you listen to it, the more you find these like hidden gems that are sort of buried that maybe aren't the the staples that people talk about. And this is a great example of that. Um, so we do close out side three with the Two Fairy and the Princess. Um, I mean, this is like proto shoegaze for sure. 100%. Early My Bloody Valentine, like, um, you know, and just really, you know, again, to use the word trippy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great closer for the side of the record. I I agree with you completely. I think like this could be on Isn't Anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I love it. Great way to end the side. Um, and then finally, we're just on the last side, which, you know, at first somebody buying the record might say, what the heck? Only two songs on side four. <laughs> well, we find out why in a little yeah. bit, but turn on the news. What do you think? It's great. Like, like, the, the, like there's kind of like really cool, like, uh, like barroom style, like gang vocals, but they'll like turn on part like, um, yeah. And the Bob's lead on that. Yeah, yeah. So here's an example, like I talked about before, we, you know, Bob is, is the one always recognized usually and rightfully so um, because he's incredible, but this was, this song turn on the news was actually recognized by the rock and roll hall of fame as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Mm. Um, And, you know, famous critic for village voice and stuff. Robert Christgau said, this was the best song of 1984 wow and um, which that's high praise yeah i feel like so there, i have some so this is a cool song um i don't even think it's the best grant song on the album but i think it's the most in lines of like a traditional rock song if that makes sense okay like the the progression the melody yeah. so i've often thought sometimes this gets singled out just because if you were to play somebody like if somebody said talked about this Zen Arcade album and said, you got to hear it. And they played just this track. I could see something like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's got like the melody and the head bobbing, you know, that, that kind of head bobbing riff. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that had it been, had they done like a single version of this song, uh, it probably could have been like a college rock hit, like, you know, done a single version where they maybe tightened it up a bit, 
um, and spent, you know, maybe spent an album worth of budget on just a song. If, Who yeah. knows? Like this could have been like a big hit, but uh, it's a great song. It's just, and it is, you know, and, but Grant has so many great songs. You know, it's hard to narrow down to just one. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I completely agree. I feel like to your earlier point, I feel like if we're to think about this record in the context of the like um, just uh, history and like political climate and like current events, I feel like this song takes all of that, all of those like, I feel like all of the, the then contemporary cultural anxieties um, manifesting themselves in a rock and roll song are all just like laser focused, like in the songwriting for this one, like they're all there. Yeah, and it, it has it has that 60s rock feel, mm-hmm. like the, the vocal melody is especially is like, I mean, that could have been a credence. Yeah. You know, like credence or whatever. So I'm sure Mike Watt and D Boone uh, and George Hurley were super stoked on uh, this record <laughs> when, this, when they heard that because it really is it's like you know that's a credence a yeah. couple of credence tapes <laughs> yeah we found them so reoccurring dreams the All last right. song kind of ties like the rug in the big Lebowski. <laughs> it ties the whole record together um it's uh so it's basically a long form version of dreams reoccurring from side one yeah what are your thoughts? It's okay. It's great. And I, I, to be emotionally honest, my attitude toward this song has uh, transformed over the time that I've um, been a fan of this record at like, you know, when I was like in my 20, early twenties ish, I was like, I didn't have the patience for this, but I was like coming from much more of like a, I was younger. I was much more caffeinated. I like listened to a lot more hardcore. I was like kind of wrapping my head around what this album was about. Um, now that I'm older, um, and I do have the patience for it. Um, it's just like a killer droning, like psych track. You can hear how like a band, like, I don't know, somebody like Acid Mother's Temple, like heard this song and was like, this is what our band is going to sound like. Whoa. Um, yeah. Um, it's great. I'm in the same boat. Like, I think at 14, I probably was like, okay, I'll put on, turn on the news and I'll lift the needle up. I'm good. Like we, we heard that, like, we've already heard this. Right. Like, 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 no, we can't get reoccurring dreams. We already have reoccurring dreams at home. And it's, <laughs> it's just dreams reoccurring. Like we have already like a two minute snippet of it. We don't need right. 14 minutes, but yeah, you told me. Yeah. Like even later on, I remember being like, okay, like if I listen on Spotify, I would stop after turn on the news, but now it's like, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's an essential part of it. And it just, you get kind of lost in the, the droning, repetitive uh, whole feel of it. So I guess this is a good place to talk real briefly before we wrap up about the narrative. Yeah. So, you know, the narrative being pretty bit, you know, a young man runs away to escape a miserable and abusive home life. Um, and that's where you hear like the songs like broken home, broken heart, never talking to you again. Um, then it says 
and I'm, I'm, I am getting this from full disclosure because someone's going to be like, he's reading. I'm getting this from Wikipedia, which, you know, uh, put it in a nice little chunk. But yeah, for oh, those who don't oh, feel yeah. like looking at Wikipedia, you can just listen to me. Um, the character briefly joins the military. That's chartered trips. Then he turns to religion, Hare Krishna. Seems to find uh, some peace through love. And that's where somewhere comes. But then he loses his lover to drug overdose. Pink turns to blue. Um, he reaches out to a point of despair, concluding he won't be able to change his circumstances. That's newest industry and whatever. Before, and this is the oldest trick in the book mm. for a story, even, with, even going back to Super Mario Brothers 2, he realizes at the end, it was all a dream. Yeah. Uh, from a bad night of sleep. So uh, that's that's the narrative. I did hear something about Zen Arcade, like, you know, tying it into like Tommy, the who with the yeah. pinball, like Zen Arcade had something to do with like. It makes sense. Playing arcade. I don't know. But at any rate. A plus album. Yeah. Absolutely essential in the uh, pantheon of American what punk music rock music yeah you know this is like like uh, a piece of the puzzle anyone from you know jawbreaker to husker do or <laughs> from from jawbreaker to <laughs> green day to um like you said the hold steady yeah uh you know goo goo dolls so many oh their lives to this whole like 83 to 87 era of the Hooskers. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I completely agree. And like, you know, kind of, um, I, I, um, hear the, like, um, the hint of sarcasm in the, like, you know, the oldest trick in the book, like that there was a dream, like, um, I I love this record. I feel like the um obviously <laughs> like I feel like the the narrative is like so cool and it's like one lens through which I can view the record and like an ear I can listen to it through. Um but like you know bear in mind too like Bob is he's 1960s born. This is 84. He's 24 years old when he's writing this record like you know I'm the 23 actually. Oh my god. It says it was yeah, it says it was recorded October 1983 so he just turned 23 that's wild which is like a mind-blowing feat of creative expression at that age like when you look at it through any of those individual components the songs the like the performance the fact that they wrote all of these amazing songs in such a short time period in the larger context of their huge output like at that yeah time. and lyrically and i'm thinking like when I was 23, the best I could come up with is drugs bad, friends good, straight edge. <laughs> so like that's that's pretty impressive. Would you say this is now remember there's a difference between favorite and best? Right. Is this the best Husker Du album? Oh gosh. I think it might be, I think it might be the best. I don't know if it's it's this or flip your wig i don't know and i feel like it maybe kind of depends a little bit about like about what you're looking for in an album i would say yeah how about you i mean flip your wig's my favorite but i don't know i feel like 
this is possible. It's definitely contender for their best because of all the the vary the variedness and the variedness variety. Um, and like a lot of these songs could have been done in the Warner Brothers era, like yeah. with you know, uh, yeah. like Never Talking to You Again could have been on Candy Apple Gray. Yeah, easy, easy. Um, yeah. Which isn't that crazy thing because it's like a year and a half later or two years later because yeah. of how quickly they put out uh, releases. But yeah, this is a this is an absolutely essential. Um, to describe the record in one word, I'd say it's ambitious. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like newest industry, again, the beginning part of that could be right at home on Candy Apple, right? Yeah, or, or, or Warehouse. So yeah, um, yeah, fantastic album. Um, just continuing their incredible run of quality. If you somehow have made it this far and have never listened to this album, Go do that now. Yeah. Sure. So now we do. We do have the. Um, we, we get to each pick a Bob and a Grant song. Do it. Uh, this is really difficult um, mm-hmm. to do for both. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll start with Bob. And I'm gonna pick one of the more underrated cuts. Okay. Sort of because like once in a while it's fun to be the contrarian, but also it's like. I'm trying to think of ones that maybe fall under the radar that maybe someone will uh, hear and pay more attention to. And I got to say, whatever. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great tracks of Bob's on here, but I got to say, yeah, I'll go with whatever. Yeah, you do, Bob. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's a great song. And like, I don't think it's contrarian too. I feel like if you yeah i just feel like it depending on what day you hit me like i could i could come up with a different answer for both of these questions at any time i'm gonna go something i learned today it's just i it's maybe a no-brainer of an answer but it's great <laughs> like this yeah, is it is first song on the album i don't yeah and i mean that the lyrics i always thought were great yeah um and it, it really does set the tone for the whole thing and seeing him play it live to this day is is great yeah if you asked me in 10 minutes i might say charter trips that was i mean honestly if i had to pick of the popular songs on here and i'm doing popular in air quotes because it's not like it's not like these were uh you know radio hits but it would have been charter trips for sure and when he does it live it's cool because they really up that like psychedelic like the the end that you know uh yeah ending and uh john worster and jason both kill it uh at their respective instruments um so yeah for sure um what's your grant track grant oh my god this is another really really difficult one um and i want to say uh for this i i gotta go with pink turns to blue which i know that one is more of like a a hit um but you know if somewhere was musically written by grant i maybe would have given that the uh the push but i'll I'll, because you know pink is a is a grant track through and through i gotta go with that yeah yeah that makes sense 
I'm going to, I'm going to, again, maybe an obvious answer here, but um, I'm going to go with never talking to you again. I just feel like Grant is so good at those, like, yeah, it, like, just like that, that song is like his songwriting. In the kiss off. He's yeah, really good I, at the kiss off. good at that. And something that I just think it's a, a unique example of a Grant song being on, on a track three on the record. Yeah. So, and circling back a little bit, when we talked about potentially using um, a Husker Du song for the intro music, I something, an idea we talked about was doing like a kind of bedroom recording of the guitar track for that. Yes. Yeah, it's a great, is that a 12 string guitar he's playing or no? I believe I don't so. know. It has that like chimey type sound. Um, so can we, let, let, one more thing. Because yeah. I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave Greg Norton out. Yeah. Do you have a bass highlight? Oh man, probably that like the do 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 do. Um, just because that one like really sticks out to me. I'm standing by the sea. Okay, I got to go with something I learned today. Okay. I mean that is one of the most just ripping and just fast and just like you can just you know picture the the hand the, the right hand just going to town um is great what's also wild about this record is the last note on it you know so they talk about this whole thing took about 85 hours the last 40 hours straight from mixing and yet carducci who is one of the sst guys right wants another album already but not another double lp so then they did New Day Rising. Yeah. So this comes out in, um, I couldn't, you know, it's that's the one thing that stinks with some of these um, like indie albums. Okay. Oh, this came out, according to Wikipedia, is released July 1st, 1984. Okay. And then New Day Rising is released January of 85. So literally in six months. That's crazy. They they had that and then flip your wig. September eighty five. Candy apple gray was I believe March of eighty six, March seventeenth. So wow, we're coming up on a forty year anniversary for that. March of eighty six, and then finally warehouse January eighty seven. We had to wait nine months for that one. What what slackers? That's crazy. It's crazy. So it's it's pretty nuts. Um, what should we do next time? Oh gosh, I don't know. We should have talked about, uh, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you what, why don't we, why don't we leave it up to what, when we post this on Instagram? Okay. Yeah. Tell us. We'll, we'll say, what, what do you want to, what do you want to hear next? Um, and we promise, I promise, I know I say this all the time, Jude, you have to commit to this. I have to commit to this it will not be another six months. I would like to have another one in a, in a matter of a couple of weeks. Yeah, we um, and, uh, but yeah, let us know what you want to hear next time. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Yeah. And we, we look forward to doing this again sooner rather than later. Yep. Go listen to Zen Arcade. Rest easy. Grant Hart. Yeah. Cool, man. Why was supposed to be nice? Which is really- yeah.